0: amen I, I believe I was set up today I got to go after all of that right <laughs> hey no hey we appreciate um, the opportunity to be here today the opportunity to uh, minister it's uh, it's an honor um, the the man um, Brian Matthews uh, I've gotten to know personally he's a wonderful man but the anointing that God's placed on his life has changed my life amen and so, what you've seen is all the lives that have been changed, and all the things that have happened, and all the things that uh, where God has interacted in people's lives. That's because God has given us a pastor as a gift, right? Are you with me? He's given us a gift of a pastor, and I appreciate uh, the gift that He's given us today. Um, I want to talk uh, just for a few minutes, real quickly, um, uh, about the mountains of Moses, and. When uh, when I started looking at this and thinking about this, I, I thought of Bishop, and, and God began to minister some things to me about um, about this topic. And uh, so, I just want to talk about that for a few minutes today, and um, uh, then we will we will wrap it up. All right. Uh, but I want to start just by thinking about a mountain. Okay. When we think about a mountain. Uh, they always have significance in the bo- in the Bible, okay? When you think of a mountain, you and I will always even say things like this. When things are going good, we're up on the mountaintop, right? When things are going bad, we're down in the valley. And so when you think about a mountain, when you look at the mountain, when you look at this uh, majestic peaks and everything, mountain climbers, uh, I've heard people that have climbed Mount Everest that have said we're on top of the world. Right? And so what happens is Jesus will go up into the top of a mountain to pray very often because a mountain, something about a mountain and changing elevation in the natural, does something for you in the spirit to where you're closer to God. It's something about a symbolism in the Bible that when you would begin to climb up, uh, a mountain that you would begin to understand that that person is represented, that they are getting spiritually closer uh, to God. And so a mountain always represents uh, a people being close to God. Here's the interesting thing. I, I wish I had about three weeks to, to, to talk about mountains in the Bible because I started going through this, and, and it's amazing what you'll find on the mountains in the Bible. Uh, God re- always re- has revealed himself on a mountain. Didn't realize that until I started looking at this. But listen to this. Abraham... Goes up to sacrifice Isaac, right? On a mountain, right? Mount Moriah. Elijah defeats the pagans and proves that his God, the God of Israel, is the one true God. Where? On a mountain, on Mount Carmel. The temple of God, the temple of the Jews, is on Mount Zion. Jesus commissioned the 12 apostles on top of a mountain. (laughs) He preached his, his most famous sermon that changed lives called the Sermon on the Mount. Up on the very top of a mountain. Jesus' temptation. He was led after he was uh, baptized and saved and baptized and and commissioned and called into the ministry. The Spirit of God leads him to the wilderness and he climbed a mountain to get to the wilderness. The book of Matthew says that in a mountain there was a great number of physical healings. Uh, Jesus' final discourse was on a mountain. The transfiguration of Jesus was on a mountain. The transfiguration where Moses and Elijah both show up. Interesting thing about this is that Moses and Elijah here is a picture. It's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. Those together representing the word. And Jesus is there. So it was a picture pointing to the word that was made flesh in Jesus Christ. All of that happened on a mountain. You remember Peter wanted to stop and set up three different sanctuaries and tabernacles. And they said, no, no, no. There's only one way. There's only one God. There's only one Savior. There's only one way. So, uh, And and lastly, just to throw another one out there. uh, Jesus died On Golgotha's hill, which is called Mount Calvary. So in a mountain, in the mountain of the Lord, there's always something significant about moving higher and moving closer into the things of God. And also, uh, in the mountain, God revealing Himself to you. I believe that that goes hand in hand. I believe that because as we climb closer to God, as we get closer to Him, we begin to see His face more and more and more. But today I want to talk to you about the mountains of Moses because there were seven mountains that Moses was involved in. Moses is uh, the greatest example that we have for a pastor. He is pastoring millions of people. Uh, he, he starts pastoring when he's later in life, didn't even want to do it. Um, there's all kind of, there is not a situation that you'll go through at all that Moses didn't go through something similar. And so I want to read this verse, first of all, two places. We're going to be our text, we're going to draw our theme, we're going to draw from Exodus chapter 3. But I want to read this verse. Uh, Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 says this. It says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. God does nothing unless He first reveals His secrets, His plans, His strategies, his vision, his big picture, his finish line, his way of doing things, to his servants, the prophets. This tells me that if God's going to do anything in my life, and if he's going to do anything into any ministry or any church I'm related to that that word, that strategy, that secret, that plan isn't going to be revealed to me except it's revealed to me through the man and woman of God in my life, through the vision that God speaks through them, and that's how the anointing is going to be channeled into my life. Are you hearing me? Biblical fact. It's right there, guys. God's not going to talk to me about the direction we need to go in the church. God is going to minister to me through the gift of my pastor. And as he begins to minister to me that gift, he'll begin to speak prophetically into my life. And now I'll be able to go on the course and go on the path that God has called me to go. Because that's just the way the anointing flows. It's just the way it flows. I got pulled over Friday for speeding. I, went, I was going 47 into and a 35. And there was something interesting. I was from here to the front pew, away from the, the transition mark, right? So I'm in the 35. Right there is the 50-mile-an-hour zone. Right there. Right there. And, and so I look up in my mirror, and I see the blue lights. And, and I'm like, well, maybe he's just trying to get past me. you know. What? So I pull over. Nope, he pulls over in behind me. He walks up to the car, and I try to plead my case. I'm like, man, it's right there. It's just right there. He's like, yeah, but it's not 50 till you get right there. But it's right there. I'm accelerating up to it, right? So I'm trying to get out of the ticket, and, and you know, I'm, I'm saying, man, is there any way you can help me out? And he says, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm still going to make you pay the fine. I said, okay. Um, but he said, I'm going to give you, and he wrote it up and everything. He said, I'm going to make this a non-moving violation. I said, what does that mean? Because I was just speeding. How can you make a speeding ticket a non-moving violation? It should be an excessive moving violation. I said, I don't understand what that means. I said, what, what is, how does that help me out? Because I, I'm still having to pay this fine. He said, because this way it won't show up on your insurance. It won't show up on your, you won't get points on your license. There won't be a mark against your name and a mark against your record. But I said, well, if you're doing that much, sir, why can't you just go ahead and just give me a warning this time? You know? I said, I appreciate your generosity. And he says something to me. He said, because you violated the law. And I said, but it's right there. He said, but right here, you can only go 35. And right there, you can go 50. That's just how it works. Amen? That's what he told me. I don't know why the anointing flows this way in my life. But that's just how it flows. And that's just how it works. The anointing into my life will always flow to me through a covering of a pastor into my life. The anointing will always flow from the head down. The anointing will always be given to a pastor to be a mouthpiece for God, just like we're going to see in the life of Moses. Genesis chapter 3, starting at uh, verse 1, I believe. Is that right? Is that what I said? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse 1. Now listen to this uh, account here of Moses. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to go back to the desert and, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, and to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore for Behold the cry of the of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain. Then, God, then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus shall shall you say to the children of Israel, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Amen. You know what I love about this? When I begin to look and I begin to see, uh, especially the things that Bishop's been teaching and preaching to us, and you begin to see this, I never saw this before until Bishop began to teach on this. And it was amazing because I see here that when Moses says, what name am I going to give it?" He says, tell him that I am. Tell them that this is my name. Are you ready for it? He, he doesn't call himself the I am. He says, this is my name. Tell them I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that name will be a memorial to my people through all generations. Because they knew, Bishop has taught us here in this past series, that they knew every time they heard the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were bringing together multiple generations, they knew that God meant business, and they knew that that was the God that was going to move on their behalf. And so Moses began to go here, and he says that that is is the name that that will be a memorial to people. But it's interesting to see what happens here uh, in the life here of, of the calling of the pastor, over this situation now it's amazing because god says that he sees people here in horeb he sees them from horeb he's looking at them in egypt and god says i see that there is a people in oppression and a a people that are in bondage and a people that need help and a people that need rescue and so he begins to say this he says my plan is that i'm going to lead them out and i'm going to place them into a place flowing with milk and honey right? And so we see the problem, we see the solution. And so God's going to pull an Amos chapter 3 verse 7 on him, and he's going to have to begin to get this strategy into a man somehow so that he can get you from point A to point B. Are you hearing me? It has to happen. Guys, do you understand that when Adam sinned and he fell, sin immediately came into the earth, but Jesus didn't come for a couple thousand years later? (laughs) <laughs> or a few thousand years later, rather. This is why. Because God had to begin to speak the Word down through prophets, down through men and women of God, throughout history. He, uh, here a little, there a little. Here's a little jot. There's a little till. And He begins to speak time and time. They're building a foundation of the Word until we see in the New Testament that that Word became flesh. What Word became flesh? The prophetic Word that was spoken and spoken and spoken and spoken. Finally, there was enough word that was spoken and released into the situation and into the atmosphere that that word was able to come into manifestation and the word became flesh and dwelt among them. And so when you look at this, God says I've got to get them from point A because I'm not going to leave my people out. I'm not going to leave my people in bondage. I'm not going to leave them in oppression. But I'm going to bring them out of Egypt and bring them into a promised land. But I've got to back up and and have a strategy and a way that is legal for me to do this. And so he's saying, I'm going to have to give a man a vision and I'm going to have to give a man some direction and a plan and a purpose. And I'm going to have to flow the anointing through that ministry so that he can lead the people from point A to point B. Amen. That's how the anointing works. That's how it works. If you received it from anywhere else, other than a pastor and a ministry gift, you received it illegally amen thank you (laughs) if you received it any other way than through the gift of of a pastor why because god has set in the church the pastor the evangelist the prophet the teacher god has set that in the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body god has set that in he didn't set your gossiping neighbor in church for the edifying of the body he gave you a pastor Amen. He gave you a pastor to lead and to shepherd and to watch over your life. He's trying to get us from a point A to a point B, and there's only one way that God can do that into the earth, and it is to speak a prophetic word through the office gift of a pastor that can be downloaded and, and interpreted and, and, and given and placed into our lives. Moses is here in Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is interesting. I read somewhere that people say that Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same thing, but they are not. Mount Horeb is a long chain of mountains. Mount Sinai is a certain part of that mountain range, okay? So Mount Horeb and Sinai, yes, they are the same, but they are also completely different. And so right here, Moses begins his journey here at Mount Horeb. In Mount Horeb... The definition of Mount Hor means to dry up, to be in ruins, and to be in waste. This is the place where God begins to minister to Moses and call forth a people. Because it's in this place where God looks down at his people and sees that they're drying up, that he sees that they're dying, that he sees that they're in ruin and they're in waste and that they need a savior. It's right here where God begins to really look past the facade of what they had on, the fake smile and the nice three-piece suit, and he begins to look at the heart. It says he heard them crying out. But you'll never read in in the book of of, uh, Exodus here where one of them physically cries out, God begins to look and hear from a heart of people that's oppressed, of people that have given up so much that they don't even cry out to God anymore. You've lost a whole generation that knew freedom and now you're dealing with a whole generation that all they've ever known is bondage. They don't even know that they're in bondage. They don't even know that they're in trouble. And so God says, but I know what freedom looks like. And if I know what freedom looks like, I'm telling you this people is in a messed up situation and so I've got to begin to speak a word down into the earth because I'm not going to leave my people there. I've got a plan and a purpose for them. I'm going to bring them out and bring them into a place flowing with milk and honey. This place of Mount Horeb is a place what we go through when God begins to reveal your heart. It is a place that God bring, brings a pastor to at different times throughout the church. It's in this place where God sees the future and the direction of where we're going. He sees the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is at the end and comes back to meet you in the beginning and walks with you to the end. Amen. And so he's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the end from the beginning. And so as he goes here, he's got to bring us. And he's like, listen, the tabernacle of praise is not where I've called the tabernacle of praise to be. This is not where they will end. This is not who I called them to be. I called them in God's eye. He sees a picture and a type and he sees the completion of what we shall be. So God has to bring us back And bring our pastor back to a Mount Horeb When he begins to say look Your people are in bondage and they don't even know Your people are in trouble and they don't even realize That they thought everything was fine Your people aren't experiencing me The like one day that they will experience me And they think they've got all that there is Of me to have And so God begins to speak through the gift of a pastor Right in the midst of a Mount Horeb Just like he did here with Moses He begins to speak to him And he begins to say look I'm going to begin to give you some vision and some insight and some glimpses to where I'm taking you, to where I'm taking these people. And then I'm going to begin to give you a strategy and a plan and a purpose. And then I will be with you and I will go with you. What shall I say if they ask me who? Don't you worry about that because you don't even need to give them a name. This is so true that it's going to happen. Tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that does whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it. Whether you like it or whether you don't, whether you're for it or whether you're against it. You tell them the God of the universe. The God that decided one day to breathe and speak the word and create the word. Into existence. Tell them the God that decided, just because of the pleasure of his good will to send forth a son born of a virgin at the point of time to save the people from their sin. You tell them that God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is going to meet them and push this thing to the finish line. And so in Mount Horeb, Mount Horeb is the place of dryness. It's a place that you and I never have to go through. It's but it's a place that our pastor's journey begins. It's a place where he begins to hear the cry of the people, where he begins to see the situation, where he begins to deal with things that, that, don't even bother us because we don't even know that they're available. And so at Mount Horeb and Moses begins to get a vision. He begins to get a vision of, of, of the plan and the purpose of God. But then there's a point where Moses goes to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a section of the mountain that's real high and real high peaks and real stony, sharp pieces that are cut into the rock. Mount Sinai can be seen if you just look at it from straight away. You know where Mount Sinai is because it's bigger and it's higher and it's steeper than anything else around it. Mount Horeb is where God spoke to Moses through the fiery bush. But Mount Sinai is where he has to take Moses To give him the word, to give him the law, to give him the order, to give him the instructions. Mount Sinai, by definition, listen to this, it means to sharpen. It means to sharpen. It is a little bit higher than Mount Horeb where you begin to get a revelation of what God wants to do. But I'm glad that we have a man that can hear the voice of God in Mount Horeb and say, It's not good enough for me to stay here. I choose to climb a little higher. I choose to go up a little sharper so that I can be sharpened and equipped so that I can come back and sharpen and equip a people because I know they love you and I know you love them and I love them too. And so you'll go a little bit higher. See, there's more written in that than what you understand because what happened here is when Moses began to push up into the mountainside, God said, Moses, bring my people up here into this place, into my presence. And the people, People said, no, Moses, we're not going to follow you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they said, we're not going to follow you, pastor. You go up into the mountain of God. You go up in there. You minister to God and you bring the word and the anointing and the plan back to us. Isn't it amazing that when Moses says, listen, I love God more than I love anything else. So he said, fine, I'm willing to go up a little higher than the rest of you and go up a little bit into the stonier places that's harder to climb and rougher terrain and harder to breathe because the altitude's changing. But I'm willing to go up a little bit higher so I can see God face to face. Moses, when he walked up into this mountain of Sinai, he fasted back to back for 40 days. Back to back for 40 days. This is what I want to say to you. I want you to see this. There was a cloud by day and a fire by night that followed the children of Israel. It is a type and a shadow of of an anointing covering that was over their lives. Are you with me? God says, I'm taking you from here to there, but there's going to have to be an anointing to take you from here to there. There was a specific anointing to bring them out of Egypt's bondage and take them into the promised land. A specific special anointing that was on their life. I want you to see this. When Moses begins to climb up into the mountain of God, the cloud stays with the man of God. The cloud stays with the pastor and begins to ascend up in the mountain with the pastor. It, come on, it is then that for two or three months, the children of Israel are down, listen to this irony here. They're down in the valley called Sin, S-I-N. They're down in a valley of sin at the foot of, 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 of uh, Sinai. And, and as Moses walks up into the mountain, as their pasture begins to go up into the things of God, they say, we're not going to follow you into this thing. The anointing stays with the head because remember, that's how the anointing flows and so the anointing leaves and it's then that over time I don't believe that on day one they began to worship other gods but I believe that because they stayed out from underneath that anointing and that protection it was just a few days and they said my god we had it better back when we were in Egypt back in bondage and they took the very articles the gold the silver the jewels that were meant to create a sanctuary for their god and they burned it down and they began to live sexually and morally down there with vulgar acts and they created created a golden calf and they began to worship the god Baal who was an Egyptian god and it's all that they knew again all over the body of Christ you've got people that are pastor you go and get me a word pastor you go that's your job to hear from God that's your good job to move into the things that's your position that's what you're called to do but I'm going to stay down here and do my own thing oh man he got quiet I'm preaching better than you're saying amen this morning <laughs> listen What happens is this, the anointing flows through the pastoral gift into my life and into your life. The anointing flows from him. And so I don't serve my pastor as a man, but I serve him as a gift and I serve him as the voice of God and the prophet of God in my life. I serve him as as I serve God. I serve him because I know if I'm going to receive an anointing from God, I'm only going to receive it through the gift of a pastor. And so I'm going to honor God by honoring my pastor over my life because that's the gift and that's the channel. That's the hand that feeds me, if, if you will. That is the channel and the way that the anointing flows into my life. Amen. Mount Sinai. Where I'm thankful here that we've got a pastor that goes a little higher. I'm thankful that we've got a pastor that doesn't care what's popular. I'm glad we've got a pastor that will confront sin and confront lifestyles in in the midst of a place when other people are trying to water things down. Our bishop would be arrested if, if some people heard some of the truths that he stands upon. And man, I am glad to go to a place that doesn't tickle ears, but a place where someone will push up into the things of God and say, I hope you come with me, but I'm going either way because I've see the end from the beginning. And I know where God wants to take us to. And I know the plan that God's given us to get there. Amen. The next place I'm going to combine these two Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim were the places in Samaria. In Mount Ebal, after they received the law of God, they went up into the mountain called Ebal. The definition of this place means a heap of ruins. It means stony. It means barren. If you looked at it, there was no growth, there was no vegetation, there was just a stony rock. The other place that goes along with this is Mount Gerizim. The definition means terror or fear, but it also means lush. It means vibrant or lush. And so the interesting thing is this is the place in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 where God divided the tribes and He put half of the tribes on Mount Gerizim, the lush place, and half of the tribes on Mount Ebal, which was the dried up dead place. And that's where they recited the blessings and the cursings of the law. On the blessed place they said, If you obey the words that you hear in your ears today, If you hear and obey and do what you hear today, you shall be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed going in, blessed coming out, blessed in what you touch, blessed in everything that you do. Your family will be blessed. Everything associated with you will be blessed. But if you fail to do the word that you hear in your ears today from Mount Ebal, you heard, you shall be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, curse going in, curse coming up. Everything you touch shall be cursed. That was the place. Now, here's the interesting thing. Why did I bring this part up? Number one, because uh, it's just one of the two of the mountains he went to, but I saw something. I couldn't find anything other than that. So how does this relate back to the pastor? Well, isn't it interesting that the law God gave to the people came through the pastor? Are you hearing me? I'm not saying that we supersede the Word of God, but I'm saying the fine-tuned things in our lives, the direction, the fine-tuning and the sharpening of the vision comes from our gift of the pastor. And if we will do what we hear said in the Spirit... (laughs) we will stand on that place of Jerusalem and we'll be blessed in every single thing that we do. Why? Because we're connecting into an anointing that wants us to be blessed. Amen? But if we reject that anointing, if we reject that thing, we'll be cursed in the things that we do. Not that God has cursed us, but because we're not connected and tied into the blessing. Are you hearing me? That's the place where the blessing and the cursing was, was spoken over their lives. The next place is interesting. It was called Mount Seir, S-E-I-R. The definition of this place means hair. It was a place that was given to Esau, um, whose people were the Edomites. It was given to them as an inheritance. And this is the place where Moses and the children of Israel went by, but they didn't go into the mountain. And God said, listen, I want you to take money and I want you to buy food and water and provision from these people, from the Edomites. And they shall know. That when they look at you and see the blessing that's on your life, they shall know that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They will look at your life and see how blessed you are, and they'll want to be co- connected with you. Why? Why this in Mount Seir? Because it's, it's the Esau's in the church. Are you hear me? It's those people that are supposed to be connected in. And God wants to be hooked into the plan and the purpose and the vision. It's those people that God wants to move in their lives. But it's the people that are willing to sell a birthright for a little bit of entertainment in the flesh. It's people that are willing not to commit and, and, and only commit to the things that are pleasing to them. And, and go in the moment right now instead of make commitments to the plan and the purpose of the movement of God. It's those place, And God said, I want the people that are connected to be walking right beside. Them hand in hand with them because I'm hoping that when they look at you, they'll see the blessing of the Lord on your life and they'll change their heart because the Bible says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is an anointing in this house. My this is the only pastor I've ever seen that taught a four-week series on tithing and had four weeks of salvation and never mentioned the plan of salvation. This is a place where the blessing flows in our lives. And when people look at us, they see the hand of God that's on us and they are to desire what we have and who we are. And Mount Seir, that's the place where where you've got some people like Esau that are willing to to shortchange God. And so therefore they get shortchanged themselves which brings you to a place called Mount Hor. Mount Hor, H-O-R, is is interesting because it is on the edge of Edom. It is on the edge of where this place, uh, Mount Seir is. It's on the edge of the people of Esau. (laughs) It is a place where Aaron died, the high priest. Interesting note is that before Aaron ever died, he had to take off his priestly garments representing the anointing and place them on somewhere else before he could even die. Because the anointing keeps life in you. The anointing is living. The anointing is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The anointing flows through the Word. And so the anointing, Jesus said, My words are Spirit and My words are life. He was anointed. The Word all in itself is anointed with the tangible presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so when it, what happens here is He's got to go and strip off the anointing off of His life before He can even lose before he could even lose his own life. found that interesting, but here's the real part I found interesting. Remember, this is on the edge of Edom. This is on the edge, people that, uh, I don't know, I would call the Edomites the people that go to the church but aren't connected. The people that have grown up in church and carry a title maybe of church of God, but you don't know God any more than <laughs> you know Santa Claus. Come on. <laughs> See, there's all kinds of people that, that claim, it, it's amazing, what are you? Are you saved? Well, I'm church of God. Whether you are you saved? Well, I'm Catholic. Whether you are you saved? Well, I grew up in the in the Methodist church. It's those people that know just enough to make themselves dangerous. That's where this place is, Mount Hor, just right on the edge of that. Mount Hor speaks of people who live on the edge, and so they're the ones that in Mount Hor that when everything's good, they're all for you. When you're on the mountaintop and everything's going great in your life and in their life and everything's good and we're all healthy, wealthy and wise. When all of that's going great, they're for you. But baby, the moment that something comes up in their life or you say something that offends them or something goes and messes with their flesh, they will turn on you and they will try to slit your throat. And that's what Mount Hoare represents because God was providing for them in this season, in this season of deliverance to get them from Egypt to take them into the promised land. God was providing for them daily word because it says that he was providing for them manna by day. Manna every day he was going. Manna represents the living bread of life which is Jesus Christ. Every day there's an anointing there that changed their lives. Every day there's an anointing there for them to hear the word to know the word, to grow up into the things of God. Every day there's an opportunity for them to leave Egypt completely and walk into their promised land every single day. But they get tired of it and they begin to say, oh man, this thing, it ain't nothing. It's just the word. <laughs> you think we don't have that problem in the church today? You're blind. I know what I've had people tell me, well, brother, I know what the word says, but. There is no, I know what the Word says, but. You can have a different opinion. You can choose to deny it. But thus saith the Word of God shall stand. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word shall remain. His Word is settled in heaven. It's the people in the Word. People in Mount Hor, they begin to go against the Word. When they began to get away from the Word, they began to be mad at God and complain about God. And then... You guessed it. They began to complain about their pastor, Moses. They began to talk bad about him. He made a decision. I can't believe who, who does he think he is. See, you're serving him in the flesh and not in the spirit, if that's your attitude. Amen. <laughs> who does he think he is to come in here and change all that? It was fine the way it was. Baby, you need to look into the spirit realm. Because only he has seen... Where we're going. Only He has seen. How do you know that? Because I know how the flow of the anointing works. God does nothing first unless He first speaks it and reveals it. The plan and the purpose and the vision through His servants, the prophets. Through the gift of a pastor. So what God does here is when they begin to go, fiery poisonous serpents begin to come out and bite the people. Uh, Do you understand do you understand when you go against the pastor, uh, when you begin to speak bad about him, uh, when you speak ill of his family, do you understand you are not coming against him in the flesh, but God is receiving that is coming against the anointing that's on his life? And the Holy Spirit is the anointing you understand that and so what happens is they begin to complain about their God they begin to complain about their pastor they didn't like the way things were going and so they begin to run their mouth and I can see it now calling everybody. they're calling their neighbor and they're trying to go ahead and backhandedly you know change people's situations and opinions and and gather a, a seven member board to <laughs> you understand what I'm saying man that happens all over the body of Christ. And so God sends these serpents, these poisonous snakes to come out and, and bite them. And the people begin to die. All of us know John 3.16, but John 14 and 15 are what make John 3.16 great. Because the Bible says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In this situation, Numbers 21, these things come, these snakes come and they begin to bite the people. But what does the good pastor do? The pastor goes to God and he says... The People might hate me. What do you want me to do? I'm with you. I know what you showed me. I know what you said to me. I'm going to get there. How do you want me to lead your people? What do you want to happen? And so God tells Moses to take brass and to form it into a snake, put it on a pole and hold it high in the air. And so it shall be that when people look upon the serpent, they shall look at it and they shall live bronze represents humanity and judgment in the bible and this is why it represents i I had problems when i first read that years ago i'm like why in the world because he's against idolism right so why man did he just lift up an idol in the middle of the desert what's going on here this is what it is people need to look at the thing that is killing them in order to be saved delivered and set free in other words we've got to understand that christ though he knew no sin, became sin for us, that I might be the righteousness of God in him. While he's hanging on the cross, he is dying as as sin for you and I. He is dying for all the bad. He is dying for all the disease. He is dying for everything that's tried to snuff out my life. And so when I look at that, I can identify with his sufferings and receive from him his goodness, receive from him his healing, receive from him his power. And so the pastor here, Moses here is the pastor. Understand that the way that a lot of those channels flow back into my life is through the intercession of a pastor that has been charged with as the bishop over my soul here on this earth. Are you hearing me? His intercession. I get myself in order. I keep myself in order. I keep myself under the covering of that anointing because it's not about Brian Matthews in the flesh. It's about the gift and the anointing that's covering my life where it is my access point back to the kingdom of God. It is my access. It is my connection. It is my kingdom connection that flows the anointing and the blessing of God into my life. Last place, Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo is the place where Moses died, but it's so awesome uh, how he died. Bishop, I didn't know this, but this is the definition of Mount Nebo. There's actually four different definitions, and they argue over over which one is actually the definition. The definitions are inspired, hearing, teaching, and prophet. And in Mount Nebo, the pastor who saw the vision back in Horeb, where God began to say, listen, I'm going to begin to give you this thing, boy, it's big. I'm going to begin I'm going to create a whole nation this what I'm going to do through this ministry is going to shake nations it's going to change the course of history in Mount Horeb through the burning bush he goes through all these mountains experiences and he walks up into Mount Nebo his final resting place from Mount Nebo you can stand on the peak of Mount Nebo and begin to look out and see all the land that God had promised Abraham Isaac and Jacob and transcended it down into Moses He can see from east to west, from north to south. He can see everywhere that God had promised him. And that's the place where he died. Understand that when God gives a vision to a ministry, he will die seeing that vision. He will not rest until he reaches it. He will not back up until we are there. He will not slow down until we have achieved what he has seen. Let me read this to you real quick, wrapping up right now. Mm. Psalm 133, 1-3 says this, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment or the anointing that's poured on the head and ran down the beard, even the beard of Aaron, the first high priest, that came down upon the collar and the skirts of his garments, look here, consecrating the whole body. It is like the dew of lofty Mount Hermon and the dew that comes from the hills of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, even life forevermore upon the high and the lowly. Bishop, I appreciate you uh, spending time with God and getting a vision and carrying this vision. And regardless of what anyone said or anything that's come against you to stop, Sir, I appreciate you having that vision and holding a standard up for us to run to. I appreciate that. Bishop has told us all the time. We hear it about once every Sunday. He says, where unity is, the blessing is commanded. Where unity is, the blessing is commanded. But how do we get to the unity? Verse 2 is the connector between verse 1 and verse 3. It connects the thought of unity in verse 1 to the thought of the blessing coming into our lives in thought 3. And it's in verse 2 that we find that the anointing begins to flow from the high priest Aaron down on his head and begins to flow down his beard, flow down his body, flow down his clothes, consecrating or making holy and separate or making the same thing that's on the head available to the feet and making the same thing that's on the head available to the beard and the collar and the arms and the hands and the legs and whatever else you want to name. It's the flow of the anointing. This is how the anointing flows in the church. This is how the anointing flows in your life and in my life. We are unified under an anointing that's been placed on our house and that we've been called to. The unity isn't you and I shaking hands and agreeing on the right football team. The anointing is you and I saying, hey, there is a power and a purpose and a plan for the tabernacle of praise. There is an anointing on that. There is an anointing flowing into this house. And I make my identity in that. That is what I'm called to do. That is who I'm called to be. For right now, that is where I am. And that is where I've got to place myself and tap into that anointing. Because it's in that anointing that differences don't matter anymore. Because we're just looking to get from point A to point B. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your pedigree is. At the end of the day, I'm in point A and you're in point point A. And we got to get to point B. How are we going to do that? We're going to stay connected to a vision. The vision keeps my opinion out of it. The vision keeps my personality out of it. The vision keeps me focused on the end prize. The vision keeps my eyes off of you and all of your flaws. And it keeps your eyes off of me and all of my flaws and mistakes. When I hook into the unity of the vision... I'll understand that the same anointing that's on the head is the same anointing that consecrates the body. Amen. So listen to this. Okay, listen to this. And I've taught all this just to get to this part right here, okay? We are in a no-fail season, right? We are in a no-fail season. How many people have experienced God move some way in their life through... The no fill season. Some way through a healing out. Most of us, right? Most of us, or at least we've heard the testimony of someone's close. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you just hang on because you're in a no fill season. But I want to show you this, man. I've I've received uh, from a no fill season. Uh, Sister Pat tells us last week she's received over four thousand dollars in two months. Because of a no-fill season, we have had cartilage grow back in people's bodies during a no-fill season. We have had blinded eyes open during a no-fill season. We have had promotions and people getting jobs and better jobs in the midst of a no-fill season, even though the economy they tell us is is getting worse and worse. We just choose to live under the no-fill season and not participate with the reception. Amen. And so as we begin to look at this, there are testimony after testimony, loved ones that people have prayed for for years. All of a sudden they woke up at 2 a.m. and said, my God, I don't know what this conviction is. I I wasn't even in church. But my God, I got to call somebody up and get saved and give my life to Jesus. Man, in the middle of this no-fail season, God is moving and God is churning and God is taking us from glory to glory and from realm to realm. Without the gift of a pastor, none of us walk in a no-fail season. So we never thought about that before, have we? God has always been a God who never fails. Right? He's always been a God that never fails. He's always been a healer. He's always wanted to do and perform in a no-fail season. But you and I are recipients of that because our pastor had a horrible experience. Where God says, I can't keep my people where they are. And so our pastor said, I'll take the assignment and the responsibility upon myself. And I'll climb up into Sinai and receive the word. And I'll begin to see in the spirit realm where you want to take us to. And then he comes down and he begins to minister to you and I. Guys, if you'll do what this word says, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in the no fell season. If you don't get into this thing, man, I can't help you. You'll be cursed because this is an anointing for this house right now that I want you to connect with and, and get imparted into. He goes from there into a place where, sure, man, there have been people that come against him. There have been people that come against this move. But what does he do? I'm not coming off of it. I'm not changing my mind. I'm not changing. I know what God told me. He shouldn't have to change because people don't like what's happening. God didn't tell us anyway. He said it to our pastor. And so when what happens is he says, I'm not changing where we're going. I'm not changing it. If you don't like it, it's unfortunate, but I'm not changing because I know what I've seen. Mm. And so then, there will come a time and he's starting to see it in glimpses throughout his ministry and especially now where he will stand on Mount Horeb and things that only he has seen in the spirit realm will be made a reality in his life through the anointing that's on his life that you and I are connected with. Last thing. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb. Mm. See, we've got to begin to see what he's saying. We've got to see what he's saying. We have to see in the Spirit what he is proclaiming to us from a pulpit, prophetically and spiritually. Where I get that? Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk says, I'm going to go inquire of the Lord, right? I'm going to go inquire of the Lord. I'm going to go get before God, So that I will see what he says unto me. He's saying that on the inside of me, I've got to have vision. i got to see something in the spirit before I can ever have it in the natural. He's saying that in the spirit realm, we've got to begin to see what is said. And so Caleb is so fascinating to me, man, because his pastor told him. You and 11 other boys go out and spy out this land, this vision, this purpose that God has shown me. Go check it out. Come back and report to the people. Moses isn't trying to get people in doubt and unbelief. Moses is trying to get some people to come back with a halfway decent testimony so that people could grab hold of the the word of God and they could move on in into the things of God. He says, man, go bring us a report back. So we all know the story. Ten came back and ten said they'll, they'll beat our brains in if, if we go. And Joshua and Caleb says, man, but God said, God said, we could have it. The God, you, you boys didn't hear how he addressed himself. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said, It wasn't just Jehovah Rapha that said, It wasn't just Jehovah Jireh that said, It was all of the power and the anointing of the Godhead that said, I will give you this thing if you'll just go in and take what I'm lay, laying out for you and make it available for you. You'll find later on that Caleb comes to Joshua when this land, when they finally are entering into the, into the promised land years later. Moses, the pastor, has passed away. He has transitioned the anointing and in the, in the ministry onto Joshua. Joshua and Caleb are the only two men alive from their generation. Everyone else had to die off because of their doubt and unbelief. And Caleb says this he says, Joshua, Man, we gotta talk. We gotta talk, Joshua. It was 40 years ago that my pastor said, Do you see what God wants to do in your life? It was 40 years ago, Joshua, that I saw the vision that you had. It was 40 years ago that I went out and I took the side of God. It was 40 years ago that I came back and I was faithful and I said, Man, we can have that land. He said, but I was outvoted by the other ten. He said, everyone from that generation is dead. And I want you to understand something. Speaking to his new pastor. I still believe in the vision as much today as I did 40 years ago when it was revealed to me. I haven't changed my mind. I haven't gone off track. I haven't begun to think maybe God's not a healer. Maybe God's not a deliverer. Maybe God's not who he said he was. He said, I'm just as convinced today that I can have that as I was 40 years ago when he first said it to me. Matter of fact, the more I think about the vision, I want you to know, Joshua, I'm 85 years old now, but I'm just as strong today and just as able to fight today as I was 40 years ago when I first saw the plan of God for my life. He says, I am well able to go up into the mountain of God and to make this vision a reality in my life. He says, listen to me. He says, give me that mountain. Give me that mountain. Give me, my goodness, I wish that could be the cry of the tabernacle of praise. Give me a part in the ministry that's going to see the captive set free. Give me part of the ministry that's going to build walls and roofs on churches overseas. Give me part in a ministry that will see the captive set free. Blind eyes open, ears unstopped, limbs growing back. Give me part of that ministry. Give me that mountain. I don't care what comes against me. Give me that mountain. That piece is mine. I can be connected to... God never said a thing to Caleb. God never showed a thing to Caleb. But Caleb saw what his pastor said. He said, I don't care what's going on. He said, I can see what you're saying, pastor. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. My goodness, can you see people being healed? Can you see people being delivered? Can you see families coming back to God in this church? Can you see people? I mean, really, can you see it? Can you see marriage Is restored in this house. Can you see children born in this house? Can you see disease falling off of people in this house? Can you see it? Can you see? Can you see what he's saying? Give me that mountain. (laughs) Give me that mountain. Give me that mountain. (laughs) This vision is for an appointed time. This vision. See, I get excited because of this man. Hey, the vision's not hidden. The vision's been spoken through our through our office gift, through our pastor. And he's given us insight and clips and revelation into where this place is going. I haven't seen the full manifestation of it. <laughs> but even doing my part, I can be connected to the anointing. <laughs> I can be connected to that thing. And so when we put a roof on a, on a church overseas this year, Come on, somebody. When we put a, when when we put a roof on a church this year, when we send a mission team over there this year, when we do that, we will reap a harvest. If you might be the nursery worker in the back, but you've connected yourself to the vision. (laughs) Lives saved, bodies healed, blinded eyes open. Go on your account. Why? Because just like the cop called, told me, he said, that's just the law. That's just how it works. When you put your hand and your purpose and your life to the vision, when you connect yourself to the vision, and the vision flows from your head, your pastor down, man you and I can be blessed you and I can be blessed we don't even have to climb the mountain and we can be blessed we don't even have to go the horb and we can be blessed, we don't have to climb up into Sinai and we can be blessed we don't have to go to Mount Nebo and be blessed we don't have to go and understand the blessing, and the. we don't have to do any of that we got to connect ourselves to a vision and see what he says through our pastor and grab hold and baby I'm telling you the sky is the limit and the vision is for in a point in time, and it shall speak, and it shall not tarry. Amen. 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 <laughs> we love you, Bishop. We love you, First Lady Renee. We appreciate you. We love you so much. I wanted to minister on that today because he's not just a man in my life. He is a spiritual overseer in my life and in your life. He he is a shepherd. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. Well, what do you do to stay blessed? I stay up underneath the covering and the anointing. That's all I do. That's all I do. I honor the gift God's placed in my life. Well, what do you do? Well, I give into that ministry. So, you know, it's given back into me. What do you do? How are you so blessed? Man, I bought in and I see what He says. Bishop and First Lady, thank you so much for being a visionary. I don't need someone to hug me. I don't need someone to pat me on the head. I don't need someone to be my buddy. But I need people to climb the mountain of Sinai. I need people to see into the spirit realm. I need someone to see potential in me and pull from me everything that's good. I need someone to take me from where I am to where God wants me to be. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being the pastors that do that in my life. Amen. Amen. Well listen, we things are a little bit different today. Um we just want to honor our pastors today. Amen. Is that okay? Are you happy today? Are you happy we have appreciated you being with us? Love our pastors. Love this church. So excited for where we are. But my goodness if we can just hear what he says. Come on, if we can see what he's saying, man, we can have, we can have God's best for us. Amen. So I just want to take some time real quickly just to honor our pastors. We talked about foundation. Amen. We talked about a foundation in the beginning of things, right? This place has a foundation as well. Everything that we see and everything that's happened here could not have happened uh, without uh, pastors, Bishop C.T. and Fran. Uh, We appreciate you. We love you, and if you wouldn't mind, would you come up here for me for just a second? Let us honor you this morning. <laughs> Amen. Listen, everything, everything that that you see here has has a beginning and has a foundation and has a beginning. Amen. Bishop, Miss Fran, we just want to give you this on behalf of the church. And we thank you. We thank you for for being a visionary. We thank you for starting a foundation here. We thank you for your freedom here. We thank you for allowing God to move through you all and setting a foundation of building God's dream and God's vision. We love you. We honor you all. We appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Now what we've all been waiting for. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to ask our beloved pastor and our first lady Renee and Destiny and Jordan, if they're here, for you all to come up as well. Amen. Hey, we appreciate you we love you um, the people of the church have, have banded together and got you all some gifts just to show a little bit of our appreciation to you we thank you man for for being there in our personal lives um, we've had you know issues family issues children um, man you've taught us how to be a better parent than natural you've taught us both of you how to be better people how to love my wife more how melinda can love me more we appreciate you for all the practical things you do We love you and honor you for all the things in the spirit realm that you do in our lives. We love you, and we honor you, Bishop.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. is an awkward day for me, Uh, but it is an honor and a joy to serve the greatest church on the planet as the lead pastor. Amen. I believe in this church. I believe in this ministry, and I believe that the greatest days are yet for us to see. We have just begun to lay a strong foundation for the place that God is taking us. And I'm more excited today, June 28th. Is that today? This is the 30th. Two days ago. Two days ago. Mark 31 years. I've been honored to preach this gospel. I don't have a sob story. I don't have, uh, you know, I I lost so much. I gave up so much. This is the greatest thing anybody can ever do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was honored and highly promoted above where I should ever be. And as Pastor Jimmy said today, it's not me, but the anointing that God has foreseen to place upon my life has allowed me to stand on platforms that I had no business being home.